Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And it's great to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We celebrate the life of another great Australian sportsman today. And my guest today has one of the more famous names in Australian football. After all, he played more than 333 games himself. And between he and his three boys, they have played, at the time of recording this, 718 games of VFL stroke AFL football. My guest today is David Cloak. Clokey, welcome to you. Good morning, Peter. It's a lot of numbers, that, isn't it? 718 games of football. It must make you very proud that the family has been so entwined in VFL stroke AFL footy when you look back on it. Yeah, I didn't realise there was that many games um, that uh, we've all been involved in. And, uh, yeah, when you when you think it's, um, you know, the opportunity that three boys all have uh, a chance of playing and uh, something they wanted to do and, uh, you know, it... Uh, in a in a game that we've all all loved, and um, you know, so it's been uh, very satisfying in that way. Speaking of the boys, we'll talk about their journeys as we go through the program. But Travis, at the moment, how's he settled into the Western Bulldogs after such a long time at Collingwood, which at, at times was turbulent for various reasons? How has he settled into the new environment? Oh no, he settled into it very well. Um, okay, initially when he first went there, he he really didn't know too many people involved at the at the Bulldogs, and uh, but it probably gave him a new new lease on the on things, and uh, they've been really good towards him. The players have been great, and uh, he's uh, really enjoying his football again. Did you have a word to him, David, about what that change is like? Because obviously, from uh, after you went from Richmond to Collingwood, and again, we'll talk about that later in the program. But you went to a new environment. Did you have any tips for him as to how he might best handle that? Yeah, look. I'll... Didn't really put tips to him, but I, look, I just said to him, if you go there um, with an open mind and really go there and um, show that you, you're willing to um, mix in with everyone, uh, put in the work effort, um, be part of um, what's going on at the place, you'll get accepted uh, pretty well and uh, from both sides, from the supporters and uh, the rest of your teammates. And I think that's the way he's approached it. That, you know, that was the way I approached it when I went to Collingwood. That if you go there and um, you know you, you try your best, that's all people want want to see from you. If you're having a red hot go, and even if that's not good enough, if they can see you're having a go, um, you'll be accepted. Uh, when they believe that you know you're, you're taking shortcuts or not not giving the full 100, um, that's when people sort of get down on you a bit. And uh, 
So he's gone there with a, a real positive attitude and um, you know, and he's really enjoyed the um, the short time he's been there. I want to ask you one more thing about Travis and his move to the Western Bulldogs. I was there on round one mm-hmm. um, that night at the MCG yep. and he takes that mark almost inside the centre square and goes back and bangs the goal. What about the reaction that surrounded that goal? How did that make you feel? Oh, look, I was pleased for him. I was really pleased for him. I didn't, I didn't care about the uh, reaction with the you know, supporters booing him and uh, other supporters clapping him and all that sort of stuff. I was just, um, just happy for himself that uh, he was able to contribute to the, the Western Bulldogs and uh, when they had that opportunity, he was able to uh, you know, kick the goal and um, you know, give him that enthusiasm. Yeah, it seemed a bit of a sense of destiny. The script writers were doing their business for that to happen oh, early yeah, look, in that first game, didn't they? Yeah, look, for sure. And, um, you know, everyone goes on that. But, you know, if he, if he went back and missed it, you know, what were they yeah. right about it, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, I was just pleased for himself that, uh, you know, that I know that seeing the work he'd put in over the summer to move, firstly move to a different club and uh, to get to know everyone and get involved and then first game an opportunity uh, very early in the game to, to do that and uh, for it to work out for him, it worked out um, good for him. All right, from one of your famous sons to your good self, where did the journey all begin? Where did your love affair with footy begin, Clokey? Where did you grow up for a start? Oh, look, I grew up um, in Oakley and um, played underage football up at Oakley um, in uh, the, the juniors there and um, you know, basically because I think back in those days and... Um, we, you know, we all played football during uh, the winter and uh, cricket during summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very much the same way. And uh, I was playing uh, junior football with Oakley and that was zoned to Richmond. We were zoned where we lived, um, to Richmond. And my older brother, Peter, he went down there and played a few games of, over a couple of years and then uh, went to the VFA side. And I got an opportunity through the development squads down at Richmond as a 14, 15-year-old to go down there. And uh, I went down and after probably a couple of years being there, the the late Alan Swab um, was involved and Ray Jordan was uh, involved coaching the under-19s. They came up to me, I think it was uh, probably late 71 or early 72, and basically told me I was a bit too small to go away and um, go from there. And I thought, my, well, my opportunity of playing was over, but... Uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, I was probably a late grower and I grew about six inches over about an eight, eight-month period and got invited back in um, early 73 and uh, ended up going down and doing pre-season with them. And at first when I went there, they thought I was a, a younger brother again sort of thing. They didn't realise that I was the same one who'd been there basically 18 months earlier because of mm. the, the height difference. Now, there's a phrase, Clikey, that I didn't necessarily expect to ever hear about you, that you were too small at one stage to play the game. Yeah, yeah I was probably only, when I first went down, I was probably only about five foot seven, five foot eight. Wow. Um, and then, as I said, I grew about six inches over about an eight-month period. Um, and, uh, you know, went, went from there. So you go to Richmond, 1974, and the first year that you play the game, you play in a premiership. Did you sort of sit back and think, this is a pretty easy game, this will just, you know, success will just continue to flow on from here on in? Yeah, look, I was lucky. I got, when I got involved at Richmond there, um, the club had been successful. They'd had that success in, you know, 67, 69, and uh, I went down in 73, and 
they played the reserves that year, and the seniors won again that year, and uh, and the reserves won the premiership as well. So my first year, we won a flag with the um, you know, reserve team, and um, then the opportunity came in '74 uh, and I'm getting into the seniors, and a bit of it was about you know I first when I first broke into the side, I played in the back pocket alongside Dick Clay, and uh, I remember one of my first uh, games of playing there was against Carlton at um, Princess Park. And my opponents were Percy Jones and Big Nick. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, so, you know, that was one of the sort of the first early games when I went there. And then Royce was having a few problems with his knees up forward and uh, they wanted to take some of the pressure off him. And uh, Tommy brought us up forward and uh, – he really goes the confidence. He just said, look, whatever happens over the next um, half a dozen weeks, you're going to play uh, in the seniors. It doesn't matter how, how you go. Uh, you'll be just playing in, in, in the seniors the next six weeks and uh, gave me the opportunity of uh, settling in and uh, getting involved in the team. Now, you spoke about Royce, Royce Hart, the great Royce Hart. Many of our listeners would have seen him play if they're as old as we are, Cloakie. Uh, there are many who didn't see him play. How good was he in your eyes? Oh look, Royce was probably you know one one of the best players I ever I saw play. He was very freakish in the way he went about it. Um, could take a great mark, kick sixty metre goals on his left foot, um, and in a ten minute period could uh, absolutely just change the you know the, the way a game was going. And uh, you know he, he was probably one of the best players I reckon I saw running around playing the game. We talked about the premiership in 74 and then North Melbourne and Hawthorne probably had the era where they dominated for the rest of the 70s, Collingwood getting up there with that drawn grand final in 1977. But then we get to 1980 and one of the most epic grand final performances of all time. And everybody talks about KB and his performance that day. You weren't so bad in that 1980 grand final yourself, were you? I was lucky enough to, um, in, in 1980, well... We had led up to the, the grand final. I hadn't played. I didn't. I hadn't played for about three games near the end of the season. I'd missed through a uh, foot problem. I ended up playing the last home and away game against South Melbourne at the old South Melbourne ground. Um, and I ended up playing in pair of runners uh, because I I tore the arch away from the bottom of my left foot, mm. and um, to see if that would work and. Uh, Afterwards, it uh, pulled up really sore again. And I never played any of the previous three finals in, in 1980. Once uh, Collingwood, uh, sorry, once Richmond got into playing Collingwood in the grand final in 1980, Tony Jewell came up to us after the game and said, look, if you can uh, train this week, you'll be playing in the seniors, uh, you know, in the, in the forward pocket in the grand final on the, on the Saturday. And... Uh, yeah, so I had to get through train, three training sessions to get into that grand final that weekend and um, I hadn't played for three or four weeks, as I said, um, leading up to it. All right, we'll take a break, Clokey. When we come back on the other side of the break, we'll talk about your transition from the Tigers to Collingwood and the open warfare that seemed to exist between the two football clubs at that time. David Cloak is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives every day of the year. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. 
Great to have your company for this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives with the great David Cloak. Cloakie, we were talking before the break about the injury that you had coming into the grand final. How did you actually manage to make it to the big day? Yeah, it was a, probably a bit of a long, long blow. I did my left foot. I tore the arch part, part away from the bone and under my left foot. And uh, it calcified up on me and uh, I'd missed a number of games through it. And uh, I played the last home and away game against South Melbourne and uh, pulled up pretty sore afterwards. And I didn't play that well that day and it was pretty sore. And then I'd never played in any of the lead-up finals finals games to the grand final. But once uh, we'd won and got into the grand final, uh, Tony Jewell's coach came up to us and said, look, if you can get through the training this week, We'll be playing in the fourth pocket against Collingwood uh, this Saturday at the MCG. So, you know, I had that incentive to, to, to do all the training. On the Monday, I've gone out and trained and um, trained quite, quite okay with it. But after training, the ankle pulled up pretty pretty sore again and uh, I could hardly walk. And I had to get through the training on the Tuesday and the Thursday night and uh, rang up the club doctor and said, you know, what, is there anything we can do to, uh, to help me get through? And he said, oh, look, we can do it on the match day for you. But... I'm very reluctant to do anything for you during the week. And I'm thinking, well, how am I going to get through it? And uh, I rang up a mate of mine who was a doctor and, uh, in Richmond and uh, explained to him what the thing is. And he said, I'll oh, go through on the way to training and uh, I'll put a couple of jabs in it for you and uh, see if that can help you. That was on the Tuesday. Did that, got through training Tuesday, no problems. And then uh, I've got an hour training session on Thursday to get through we get through that in the grand final. And uh, so on the Thursday, it's pretty sore still. So I ring him up again and I said, look, I really need another little favour. And he said, oh, look, I really shouldn't do, be doing this. Um, you know, all this injection is not really good for you. And that, I said, well, look, I just need this real help. But, um, so he said, call past on the way to training and um, we'll give it enough to get you through that hour session. Um, but after that, it'll wear off and it'll... You know, away you go. And uh, so I did that and got through and uh, got picked in the team. But then I had the hard hard situation that on the Friday we had the grand final parade and I had to walk from my car to um, you know, to get in the car to do that and try not limp, show any limp at all with it. Uh, and then again on the on the Saturday when I'm uh, driving to the game, trying to get to the car park, which was outside. Mm. Um, we didn't have car parks underneath back in those days. We just parked outside and walking from there to the changing rooms and uh, without uh, showing any sort of limp at all. And uh, once I got in the changing rooms, I just stayed there for the till the game started. And, uh, you know, went up, once we were getting uh, changed, I went up to the club doctor um, for Richmond and said to him, you know, and he talked about it and he said, oh, look, come and see us, you know, five, ten minutes before the game starts and we'll... Uh, inject the voice so you'd be right to play and uh, so when I went up there and uh, just before we were running out he uh, goes to inject and he says is there any specifically you'd like it to be in jab and I said anywhere there's other little pinpricks would be great <laughs> and he just sort of looked at me and I said look I'll explain to you after the game and uh, <laughs> you know, I was lucky enough to go out I, I didn't have quite a lot of feeling in it early in the game and uh, that's my excuse for missing uh, four, goal, uh, four right, kicking four points in the first half I ended up kicking six four and two out in the full or something, but uh, but it was Kevin's uh, Kevin's day. He got he got seven, but I think uh, you know with the other couple of games he played, I think he got a total of twenty one or twenty two goals for the mm. final series and uh, had a magnificent series.
So there you are. You've got two premierships under your belt. The following year, Tigers miss the finals. TJ gets the flick. Then you make another grand final in 1982, and you were captain mm-hmm. against Carlton. And uh, you lost the grand final, and eventually that would play out against Tom Hafey. And then Graham Richmond comes along and says, right, oh, Francis Burke's the man. What happened at that stage at Richmond that fragmented the club? Oh, well, look, I, th- I think at that time in uh, the end of 82, okay, we got beaten, and uh, probably uh, Richmond were looking, wanted to change a few things, and... And even during that year, um, they're looking at bringing more players in from interstate and that. And uh, we'd been around, and, and in, when I talk about we, and you got Brian Wood, Jeff Rains, and myself been around the place over a number of period, periods of time. Brian Wood was a three-time premiership player there as well, and um, we were sort of all coming out of contract, and they'd brought in a couple of players from interstate. One, Morris Rioli, and uh, it's pretty openly known. And, and he was um, getting paid quite a lot more than what the three of us were getting paid. And we wanted a little bit more of it. Uh, we thought we'd been pretty loyal to the club over a long period of time. and uh, But uh, their attitude was, no, nah, uh, this is what was going to happen. And um, then there was the approaches from other clubs and where probably a lot of people didn't realise, or probably even still to this day didn't realise that I was been, I'd been approached by Melbourne to go across there with uh, Ron Brassie and they'd already got Peter Moore and Kelvin Templeton and I was supposed to be the third player to go across with them to Melbourne and uh, I'd had a number of talks with them about it and uh, near, in the, near in the end uh, Collingwood came to us and said, look, we'd love to see you come across here if you look at making a move. And then the opportunity of going there and probably being involved in there and helping them to win a premiership was probably the um, the telling point why I ended up making that decision to go there. What was the genesis or the beginning, Clokey, of the open warfare that seemed to break out between Richmond and Collingwood? Was, was the fact that you crossed over, was that part of the animosity that developed between the two clubs? Because they just hated each other at, at that stage. Oh, look, there was always, there was always a hatred between the two clubs. I can remember you know, going back um, during the 70s there and that any time we played Collingwood, Graham Richmond uh, would come down to the club and he'd, have, he'd address the players and he'd talk to us about, you know, one end of punt road against the other end of punt road. It was open warfare and all this type of thing. So there was always that um, thing about the two clubs that I don't think they liked each other then. But, and then with... Myself and Jeff Rains both going across to uh, going to Collingwood or wanting to go to Collingwood um, at that stage, and then the following year in '83, I think it was Brian Taylor came across as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Graham, and then you had Philip Walsh and John right. Anier and Craig yeah. Stewart, and there, there was just a mass exodus from the well, Tigers that, to Collingwood. Well, that was the that was the thing that Graham Graham Richmond got involved in it, and uh, people who remember Graham, they knew that uh, he didn't take a backward step about things, and mm. so he thought, well. How are we going to get back at uh, them about it? So uh, let's approach um, a number of their players. And as I said, uh, they got Philip Walsh, who just won the best first-year player in the in the competition at that stage. They got him across and then got John Anir and Craig Stewart. And then Collingwood ended up approaching them and, uh, you know, Richmond and got a couple, of, more, a couple more players from there. And Collingwood went the same and just went back and forwards um, probably over the next, uh, you know, three or four years. Um, there was a... Uh, a number of players um, 
cross between the two clubs. And in the end, it probably um, didn't help either, either club in the end that um, the money was paying because in we've got to remember back in the 80s, back then there was uh, transfer fees paid for players mm. and switched. And uh, in the end, I think uh, both clubs got themselves into some financial troubles because of it. So when you go over to Collingwood, uh, did you cut your ties with Richmond? Was there animosity on your behalf towards the football club that you'd served so well at that time? No, no look, I I still um, you know, you had the feeling because I, I was lucky enough to be involved in two premierships there. Um, what it was more than anything else was just that their attitude was, no, nah, look, we don't believe that um, you know, you're worth you know, paying more money than what, you know, what they'd offered at that stage and that sort of thing. And, uh, um, and you know, that was probably the, the, the point that really got it in the end that um, we'd, we'd been loyal to them. I'd been at the club, uh, you know, basically 10 years at that stage um, and uh, been loyal to them and, uh, you know, thought, you know, would help them um, be involved in, uh, in winning, you know, two premierships. And uh, then... They didn't think the same, you know, loyalty back to us sort of thing. And uh, probably in the end, then when you get approached by, you know, some other clubs are thinking, well, you know, do you want to, you know, do you want to come here? And the way they approached it, um, uh, you just uh, get a bit of a different feeling and think, well, geez, a change may be good for us. Mm. And I think at that time, the Tigers were actually trying to convince Peter Dacos that a change would be good for him because they made a bit of a play for him to come to Richmond at that time, didn't they? Oh yeah, yeah. Look, you know, it was going, it was going both ways. And look, clubs, um, you know, they they're trying to, you know, they they preach. And this is the part that really gets me over it. And it happens all, it's happened all the time that they try and preach loyalty to uh, to players, mm. to be loyal to the club, and um, you know, stay in there. But um, you know, we all know that the clubs are trying to sell the players behind their back. Um, you know, that 1980 premiership team at Richmond. Probably two thirds of that team, um, the Richmond Football Club, had tried to get rid of to other clubs at different stages um, before um, we ended up winning that flag in 1980. Yeah, uh, you know, they a number of players they tried. I know at that stage they tried to get rid of to North Melbourne. There was a couple of players they wanted to go, and yeah, so you know, they, in one way they want to preach loyalty. The players wanted to be loyal to the club and um, loyal to the supporters, and that, but. Uh, you know, I've always believed it should be a two-way street, that um, the loyalty should be um, go both ways. You mentioned that you went to Collingwood in preference to Melbourne because you thought you could possibly help them to win a premiership, which didn't occur. All in all, how was your time at the Pies? And was your best year your second year there because you were only three votes behind Peter Moore in the Brownlow medal? Yeah, look, in some way, I... Um I played a different. I, I basically played. Ended up playing a different role when I went to Collingwood, uh, and it, it came about by chance as well. And they they wanted to get us across as a key forward, and I was going to play as a key forward at Collingwood. But um, because of the problems with transfers and that, um, I didn't get um, a clearance till to late. And we had the, uh, you know, there was the preseason games we used to play out at Waverley on a Tuesday night. Mm, yeah, I remember them well. Yeah, yeah, and um, I can remember some of them as some of the coldest nights I've ever played football <laughs> out there. And, uh, and I was sitting on the sidelines <laughs> watching it. Yeah, and um, I got a clearance late, and um, 
John Cale, who was coaching uh, Collingwood at the time, when I got clearance late, he came to us and said, look, before we try and get some match fitness and that, we want you to have a run around the ruck tonight, basically just have a run around the ground to get, see if you can get some match fitness into yourself um, because the season's starting in the next couple of weeks. Um, so, uh, and I ended up uh, playing there and uh, I ended up getting best on the ground. And back in those days, I think we won a little portable TV, colour TV. Yes, yeah. Panasonic uh, Cup, I think, in those days, wasn't it? It could have been. I went through a number of uh, number of name changes. but I. So that was where it came about. And I ended up playing in the ruck. And that's where I ended up, um, you know, where they end up wanting to play us there. I'd, I'd never really played as a ruckman before that. And uh, after playing a few games there and uh, worked out quite well and... I had a reasonable ability to be able to read the play and, um, you know, take a mark and that sort of stuff, and uh, it worked out quite well for me. But, uh, yeah, look, in some ways, the football I played at uh, Collingwood, I was, you know, really happy with the way, but uh, more because I, I was playing more on, on ball there. And uh, But, you know, when you look at the, the satisfaction of the whole thing, I played in the two uh, premierships at Richmond, so that was probably, uh, you know, more satisfying in that way. I had the opportunity in doing that, and but uh, I was, you know, pretty happy with the way I, I ended up playing at uh, at Collingwood uh, over those uh, seven years uh, before, uh, you know, I uh, got told I was no longer required there. We might explore that and uh, how you were told when we come back on the other side of the break and how you made your way back to Punt Road again. David Cloak is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, serving families across Victoria for more than 80 years. More with Cloakey on the other side of the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And David Cloak is my special guest on this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Cloakey, seven seasons at Collingwood. You get to the end of 1989. You mentioned the fact that you were told you were no longer required. Who broke the news to you? I got a phone call from uh, Alan McAllister probably late October uh, to come down the club and um, have a meeting with him. And all players knew that once you got a phone call in October... Uh, mm-hmm. The year that uh, probably wasn't going to be good news, so I went down there and uh, went into the boardroom, and they had the huge long table in the boardroom, and there was three chairs. There was two down one end, and Lee Matthews is sitting in one, who was coach, and Alan's in the other. And right down the other end, there's one chair, and I assume that must be for me. So I went down and sat there, and I thought, well, it's not going to be uh, good news. And uh, look, they tried to convince me into retiring. Um, that. Um, that I was no, no longer going to be on the list and really tried to convince me that I should look look at giving the game away and, um, and finishing up at that stage. And uh, I'd played 290 games. And look, I was, my last game for Collingwood in 1989 was the final out of Waverley and I played reasonably well. And um, I was still enjoying my football and I'd probably set a goal that I wanted to play 300 and uh, I was 10 games away from it. And, uh, you know, it's... I listened to what they had to say and, um, you know, thought to myself, no, nah, I'd like to have a no-go, but I was getting on a bit um, in age. I was, I was 32, 33 or something like that at that stage, uh, which most clubs had a youth policy and, uh, as we all know, 32, 33 at that stage wasn't uh, over over young. And uh, But I'd wanted to keep playing it and it came out in the papers about it all. And I remember getting a phone call from Sam Newman, 
which was, you know, at the time seemed a bit, a bit strange, but Sam rang me up and said, look, if you're enjoying your football and you want to do it, keep going if you can, if you get the opportunity to keep going. He said, because in a couple of years' time, you might regret not, you know, um, taking that opportunity and playing those extra extra games or playing that extra year or whatever. And uh, he sort of convinced me to want to uh, continue on through that. And uh, so I thought it was all, OK, we'll see what happens. And uh, so I kept training and, and it went on. And I didn't... Uh, hadn't received any phone calls about things and uh, we're leading up to around Christmas time I still kept training and as I said most clubs were uh, had a youth policy and then just around Christmas time um, Kevin Bartlett who was coaching Richmond rings us up and Kevin rang me and said uh, look we're considering um, drafting you in the draft um, next year um, would you be would you be happy to come back to, to Richmond um, and play again, and uh, but we've got some bad news as well. Is that the club's in pretty financial problems, and uh, we won't be able to pay you much. And I think, oh shit! And one way, yeah, I want to play, but you know, still wanted to get a couple of bob out of it. And um, so I'm thinking to myself, Kevin, look, can you give me 48 hours to, you know, to just weigh over the different offers I've got on the table? I didn't want to tell him I had nothing. Yeah, but. Um, can you just give us 48 hours um, to let me think over, you know, and um, talk over, you know, the different um, opportunities I've got? So I think it was 48 hours and one minute. <laughs> I get on the phone to Kevin and said, Kevin, look, I've thought it all over. I've weighed it all up and, uh, you know, um, I'd love to have the opportunity of coming back and playing uh, at Richmond again and uh, have an opportunity of uh, continuing my career. And uh, that's how it came about and I... Signed on for another twelve months and uh, went back and I think I played. So how come you finished up playing two years then? Well, I played all that year and um, you know I had a reasonable year with them and um, and Kevin was happy. But as I said, I only played the one. I only wanted to play the one year at that stage. And but where it came about is um, I I ended up retiring again at the end of uh, it was nineteen ninety. Thirty five uh, years old. Yep. Yeah. And. Um, I was reasonably happy about uh, giving the game away. And Kevin basically just got on the phone to me oh, two or three times a week. He kept ringing me up and saying, "Oh, look, you know, why don't you come down and, you know, come down and train and, you know, and see how it all goes." And uh, I said, "No, no, no, Kevin, look, I'm feeling great. The body's feeling really, you know, really good. No sore spots anymore from uh, all the training and that." Uh, and he just kept persevering and persevering, wouldn't, you know, give up on me and. Basically, in the end, I said to Kevin, look, to shut you up, I'll come down, I'll train for a week with you, and you'll see that um, I'm finished. And uh, he said, oh, okay, no problems. Look, I went down there and um, I enjoyed it. I was really enjoying it again. I enjoyed the involvement uh, with a lot of the young young players around the club. And, um, you know, went on from there. And uh, But then we had the problem, because I'd been delisted, um, we had to uh, get drafted again the, um, the following year in 91, early 91, we had to get drafted. Mm. So I'd done all the pre-season, doing all the pre-season with them and as I said, I was really enjoying it all and uh, getting involved in the game again and and uh, really uh, loving the football. And So we're coming to the practice games and uh, Kevin comes up to us on the Thursday night and he says, uh, this is near the last one of the practice games, he said... Um, 
you're playing in the re- the reserve game this weekend. I said, oh, yeah, hang on. You know, you, you've gone and do all this to get me back and we're playing some reasonable football. Uh, why can't I play in the main main game and the practice game? He said, no, no, look, we want you to play in the reserve grade. He said, um, we've heard there may be a couple of other clubs thinking of drafting you back, drafting you uh, this year. Uh, they've seen the way it's worked out and so we're going to play in the reserves this weekend and um, just so you can get some match practice and try and keep everyone away. So, okay, I'll go out and play. And we're, we're playing a practice game. I think it was out of Bandura um, near the uni there and we're playing a game and I'm playing the, the reserve game. And in, in the first half, we're running around getting kick after kick and the ball wouldn't go away from us. And uh, I probably had about 20 possessions in the first half. Then at halftime we gone in and uh, Kevin came up and said, oh, look, you're coming off. I said, hang on. You know, you, I mean, really enjoying myself and running around and getting the kick. Don't, don't do this. It's it good fun. You know, I'm really enjoying it. And he said, <laughs> no, nah, look, there's a recruiting bike out there and uh, they're real keen on wanting to pick you up. He said, um, we want you to come off and um, put a big ice pack on your knee and uh, if anyone comes up and says anything through you that you've... You've um, done your knee and you're going to need a um, total reconstruction of it and you can be retiring football, but you won't be able to play. So I go out there and I'm sitting on the boundary line and gone over and bought an ice cream for the ice cream track. And so I'm sitting there on the, <laughs> on the boundary line watching the, the rest of that game and I've got this big ice pack on and Scotty Palmer. Of, um, oh, yes, keep on punching Scotty Palmer. He, yeah, he Scotty, was, Scotty yeah. Was, a, he was a family friend, but uh, fellow we I'd known very well for a long period of time, and as you say, heavily involved in the in the football scene that day. Yeah. He was walking around, and he came around to us, and uh, he came up to me and said, "Oh, what's the problem? How come you know you're doing really well and that sort of stuff?" And I saw a couple of practice matches the last few weeks, and um, then on the you know early on today, you know you're doing really well. I said, "Oh no, look, I've done something to my knee, and I'm going to need to have a a reconstruction of my, of my knee." Uh, over the next week or so, and uh, so that's the end of it. So he's the following day in the Sunday paper. He's wrote an article saying how I'm done my knee and it's the end of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, finished up, and uh, away we go. And then what happened is the draft came up the following week, and um, they end up redrafting us. <laughs> Scotty straight on the phone to you? Yeah, Scotty's on the phone to us. And I said, oh, <laughs> oh, they found it wasn't as bad as what I first thought. <laughs> uh, so I've had to sort of sweeten it over with him. But uh, yeah, there's, look, there's a bit of uh, duck, ducks and drugs going back on those days uh, oh. with, with football. and uh, So, uh, yeah, it was, was one of those things. And I ended up playing again. And um, You'd finish up before the AFL Commission if you did that sort of thing these days, you know, that well, clucky. Yeah, and uh, I ended up playing uh, the rest of that year. And uh, I played 21 out of the 22 games. And uh, I ended up getting nine Brownlow votes in my last three games and finished with 17 for the for the year and uh, all that mm. sort of stuff and ended up retiring. And... Uh, my last game was um, I ended up kicking eight against Carlton at the MCG in my last game uh, to to retire on and someone said oh why would you retire after kicking eight I said well why wouldn't you uh, it was a good way to go I was 36 years of age and um, finishing up but uh, yeah that was the, the way I would uh, end up going, giving the game away what a magnificent career it turned out to be. 333 games, two premierships, um, captain in 1982, All-Australian Honours, Hall of Fame inductee. It was a magnificent career. When we take our final break and come back on the other side of the break, we'll find out what David Clark is up to these days on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Yeah! 
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And David Cloak is my special guest. Final segment with Cloakie. Uh, we mentioned that it all came to an end in 91 and then you headed to Canberra for a bit of footy as well, Cloakie. Yeah, look, I headed up um, up to Canberra with Ainsley and uh, I was playing coach with Ainsley and it was an opportunity yeah, to get involved firstly with uh, coaching and um, as well up there with their licensed clubs and uh, the poke machines getting the opportunity of learning um, the running of um, a licensed club with um, with poke machines and uh, so it was something I was looking at probably wanting to get involved in later on in, uh, in, my, in my career there. And after that, you've gone on to manage all of the boys, um, Jason, Cameron and Trav. It was one of the most um, difficult moments when Jason missed that grand final with that infamous uh, incident with Tyson Edwards before the 2002 grand final. How tough was that for him and for you as a father and for the family? Yeah, look, it was pretty tough on, uh, pretty tough for Jason. Uh, that he he worked really hard to get get to that stage, and you know the club was playing some pretty good football, and um, you know him missing the opportunity of playing. Firstly, in a grand final, um, you know, I'd been through that. I'd played in uh, three of them and knew what it was like and the opportunity and uh, I, and I had the opportunity of playing two winning ones. And uh, for him having that chance of uh, playing, in a, in, firstly, in a grand final and then maybe the opportunity of winning one, I could I could see what he was going to miss out on. And, uh, so it was pretty disappointing for him in, in that way that... Um, you know, he ended up missing uh, playing in the grand final. And I know talking to a couple of the Brisbane players, they were pretty glad he wasn't playing because um, they didn't have to worry about him um, coming over the top, being the third man up, spoiling and uh, knocking the ball away as he did pretty well during that whole season. Yeah, when well, it was a, a very narrow victory for Brisbane, that famous Jason Ackermanis goal late in the 2002 grand final. Clikey, as a manager, you were always very forthright when it came to the interests of your boys. Um, you never took a backward step, did you? you? If you had something on your mind, you were always prepared to say it. Oh, yeah, look, I've uh, always been that way. Um, that, uh, you know, probably said what I felt at the time and um, and gone with it and uh, and... And believe in it, and uh, I've tried to instill that into the into into my into my children. That uh, you know, if you've got a point to say, you know, say it and stand by it, and uh, and and stick up for it. And it doesn't matter which way it goes. Uh, you know, believe in it and uh, go for it. And uh, yeah, sometimes it gets yourself gets you into trouble, but uh, I think in the in the long run, um, you know, they're just my my beliefs and what I uh, believe at the time and uh, I go with them. We've talked about your boys a lot but there are women in your life as well. Julie has been a great partner for you over many years and uh, you've got a couple of daughters as well. Yeah, yeah, I've got um, two two daughters, one oldest daughter and uh, and your youngest daughter. Okay, they're all um, you know, grown up uh, grown up people now. Um, my oldest daughter, she's she's mother of five and she used to be um, a very good rower in her days. And, uh, and she enjoyed the sport. And then the three boys had all their things. Uh, probably a lot of people may not have realised that Jason was very good at baseball and had an opportunity going to America mm. to play baseball. Um, he could have gone over but didn't want to leave and he wanted to play footy. And then our youngest daughter, Tegan, who's uh, 23 now, and um, she represented Australia at uh, junior volleyball and uh, a number of tournaments um, through Asia and... Uh, she loved her volleyball and um, 
had an opportunity as well to go to America where a couple of her girlfriends have gone over and um, to college over there and uh, with the study and play volleyball over, overseas. So, yeah, we've always been involved in sport and it may have been from, you know, the following from us that we have always been involved in it and probably from the time they were born, they've had a ball of some type or been involved in some type of sport uh, from the, when they were very young. And you're about to become a granddad again later this year. Trav and Rebecca are expecting? Yeah, yeah, they're um, expecting at the end of October, early November. So that'll be uh, grandchild number 11 for us. So, uh, hmm. so um, you know, used to, used to that. Um, and uh, we spent, a, uh, myself or Julie, uh, we spent a couple of days a week, um, you know, normally babysitting one or two of the, the different kids at different times. And... Uh, we um, really enjoy that, that involvement with them, but, and they're really good as well. Well, you've obviously been very prolific in the breeding barn over the years, Cloakie, and uh, not only as a sire, but as a grandsire. What does life hold for you these days? What are you doing apart from babysitting? Oh, look, not I don't do a huge amount uh, these days. Um, we've got a, um, a property um, which we do, do a bit of work on, but as well... Um, the boys are in the building game. The, especially the two older boys, Jason and Cameron, are both in the building game and uh, keep busy that way. So we do a bit of look at renovation of houses and uh, maybe do a subdivision and uh, bits and pieces like that sort of thing, which uh, can keep us out of, out of trouble. And uh, you know, so it's, we we are able to seem to find enough to do each day to keep out of trouble and uh, as well in between, uh, if we can help out the other kids with uh, looking after. Um, the children, whether they've got something on or, or um, being involved or going over and helping and whatever, you know, that's what life's all about. It's been a great pleasure to sit down with you for uh, the last hour or so and relive some of those great stories. I think that uh, you would probably take it the right way if I said that you weren't a player who was gifted with the greatest amount of natural ability like some of the players who have played 300 games. But nonetheless, you got to 333 games and all of those other honours. It was a great career, David Cloak. Congratulations and thanks for spending some time with us. No worries at all. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, look, I, I just enjoyed the game and uh, gave... Gave as much as I could to it um, in effort and that, and uh, you get the rewards from it, and uh, that's the way I always approached it, and uh, that's why I've sort of tried with the with the boys as well to if you have a have a go and you try your best, that's all ever ever people want from you, and uh, it's been a great opportunity to have a chat with you today. Been a pleasure to talk to you, Clarky. We wish you the best. Thanks a lot. David Clark, my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives, and we will have another great Australian sports person right here at the same time next week on 11.16 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.